You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Health Hub. I am Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with Alex, our producer, we welcome you to the show today. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy. How are you? I'm keeping well, thank you. That's good. We are live today. Uh, we were um, we did pre-recording last week. Hope you enjoyed the show. That was a replay of one of our favorite uh, episodes with the kids, and uh, always get good response when we when we play that one. But uh, we are live today, so p- please feel free to call in. We've got a great show coming up for you about exercise. Our number is four one six two four five one five three four. Or you can uh, tweet at me personally. I can put your questions on the air at, at Kathy underscore Biasi. So we had somebody contact uh, contact the show and ask if we could sprinkle about some food ideas and recipes. Um, so obviously we can't go too deep into, into recipes and so forth, but... Um, yeah, that's great. That's a good idea. And we'll probably do that uh, at the top of the show because we always seem to be a little pressed for time, Alex, as we get towards <laughs> the end of the show. I look at the clock. I get a little nervous that uh, the conversation is too good to cut off. So um, if you follow us on Instagram at the Health Hub RMC, yesterday I posted, I can't remember if it was a video or a picture, but I made some kale chips and uh, I've bought them at the store, and I really don't like them. I'm not sure why. I don't know if it's the consistency of them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're easy enough, really, to make on your own, and you know exactly what's going into them, which is something that I like to profess. So I'll give you a quick overview of how to make kale chips today. So you wash the kale, and you rip the leaves off of the, the rough stalk. You're not going to use the stalk. Actually, my dogs love to eat the stalk, so mine don't go to waste. Oh, that's helpful. It is helpful. I don't like wasting food, but you can keep those stalks and put them you know, in a soup mm-hmm. to use as your broth, as your base, or when you're making a bone, bone broth, so you, you, don't, you don't have to discard them. But you don't want them in your kale chips. They're a little bit, uh, a little bit tough. So you remove them and then uh, just rip them into bite-sized pieces, the leaves, and then cover them with a little bit of olive oil, a good quality olive oil. Not a lot, just to coat. And I sprinkle a little bit of sea salt, again, not a, not a bunch. And then you bake them in the oven at 160 degrees Celsius. Mine took about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't take too long. Everybody's oven is different. And then what I do when I take them out as I, I always try to up the ante a little bit. So I put some nutritional yeast on them. And that gives it actually, if, if you're a, a vegan, you might use nutritional yeast. But it, um, that in combination with other things like cashew really give it a sort of a little bit of a cheesy taste, a little bit of a salty taste. So that's why I don't put a lot of salt on in the beginning. Okay. So nutritional yeast has, uh, among other things, a lot of B12 in it. And that is hard to find unless you're a big meat eater or you're supplement. So one of the few uh, B12 foods that you can use. So nutritional yeast, I like to use in many things. I put it on popcorn. So just a little bit of a kick up for, um, for your food. So I sprinkle a little bit of nutritional yeast and uh, that's it. It's a nice, healthy snack. They don't last too long in our house. I usually just do one head at a time. I don't make a whole batch of them because, um, I don't know, for me, I like to change things up. So I, one at a time, one head at a time. So that's that's a quick snack. I'm often asked about simple snack ideas. People can get around their dinners and, and the bigger meals, but it's the intermittent snacks that people have some, some questions about. So I hope that's helpful, and we'll do that uh, frequently on the show. 
So this week, thank you, Kathy. My pleasure, Alex. Always happy to help you. <laughs> Actually, my my, uh, my sister introduced me to kale chips uh, for the first time a little while ago. And I really enjoyed them for sure. I did too, but the ones I the ones I've bought, I don't maybe. I mean, I don't buy oh, a lot she, of them. She made them at home as she well. She did. So it was, uh, it, it tastes was, much was, better. There's a texture to the ones I've had that I don't like. They're almost like a, a puff yeah. when <laughs> you put them in your mouth from the bag. I'm not sure what it is, but these are. A little bit hardier. I mean, they're not. There's not much yeah. to them, but yeah. a good snack, good alternative to a bag of chips. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And this week we are talking. We can actually tie nutrition into our topic this week, and Michael will do that for us. I'm sure. We're talking about exercise, and we're talking more specifically about should your exercise patterns change as you age, or not. You know, do you exercise to your abilities? It's it's a question that's come up often, and we have an expert here, Michael Okumra, and he is from Fusion Health Studio in Toronto, Ontario, and he's a health coach who's been working with clients from all age brackets and health spectrums over the past two decades. Michael specializes in training the over 40 client who is looking for strategies to stay active and live a relatively pain-free life. And, you know, really, that's what we want to do. Um, so he's going to be back and he's going to help us tackle the question of how, how or if we should change our exercise uh, patterns as we age. So when we get back, we will talk to Michael. We'll be back after a quick break. Jesus, music, 
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. That was great music, Alex. Made me feel very happy. Um, we are live. You can call us at 416-245-1534. And we are on the line with Michael. Now, Michael, is it Okumura? Okumura, could you just give me how you pronounce your last name? Hi, Kathy. Thanks for having me on the show. My today. pleasure. Um, the last name is pronounced Okumura. Okumura. I had the accent yeah. on the wrong place. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. This is a great topic. I think uh, so many people have these questions about exercise. Uh, you know, should it change as we grow older? You know, all the different things. And nobody better to have on the show than someone like you who's been so entrenched in it. How did you get into this um, this business? Um, I came from a fairly athletic background as a young child. I did um, ballet from 10 to 15 or 9 to 15, which sounds kind of weird for a young, for a young boy. But uh, that's kind of where I got my athletic background. And then once I was finished with dance, I found an outlet that kind of facilitated what I was looking for. And that was working out. And there's various forms of working out, from running to lifting weights. And I always knew that that was kind of what I needed. Mm-hmm. And you opened so up... Fortunate. Sorry, go ahead. You go ahead. I, I was fortunate to discover that at such an early age. And did you open up your own studio right out of the shoot, or did you end up having to uh, work in a few studios before you came to that? Uh... I, I had to work originally in a few of the big box gyms before I really found my, uh, my ground and then discovered what I really wanted to do. But it was good experience. It was learning off their nickel mm-hmm. and uh, seeing what I liked and what I didn't like and what I thought you know, would be a good operation for what I wanted to do. It was good experience. Good, good. And we'll talk about how things have changed. But uh, first of all, let's start, start off uh, with a, the, you know, the, big, the big question is, why is exercise important for us? There's so many different reasons. Uh, there's too numerous to mention. Um, one of the big ones is that people often um, can't really describe what they feel. Is When you do certain forms of exercise, like cardiovascular fitness or strength training or stuff that just gets you more active, you start to get a release of dopamine in the brain. And that really gives you that feel-good feeling. So you get this rush. And it's almost, it is like a drug. And you get this rush of dopamine that makes you feel really good from exercise that becomes addictive to you. You want to do it all the time to get that rush. And another thing that people don't um, really understand is the brain releases this transmission fluid at that period of when the dopamine is being released called BDNF, called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And what happens is your brain now is available to learn stuff, to absorb information, or it just feels better when it's been uh, tapped by this BDNF. That's one of the reasons. The other reason is we are organisms that are just, we're meant to move. We're just meant to move. And uh, people will tell you that if they sit at a desk all day, how horrible they feel after at the end of the day. So if you could imagine that if you have to commute into Toronto and you live in, say, uh, Brampton or Richmond Hill or something, but it takes you an hour to get in by car and you're seated. And then you sit down at a desk all day and you get back home and you've sat in your car for another hour and then you have dinner. And basically, you've sat for most of the day. You've been inactive. And that's why most people uh, feel the effects of when they do exercise and move their bodies, how great it feels, because we are meant to move. Well, how do, you, how do you help somebody who's in that predicament? You know, it's, it's hard to, I mean, I don't know how everyone else is. For me, I'm not a morning person. I can't get up at five in the morning and exercise. I, my body's just not ready for it. So how do you help people, you know, just generally talking to them when they're in that predicament? That's a really good question, um, and how I could relate it to most people is you have to um, you have to practice small habits. So a small habit would be like um, some people would think that exercise needs to be an hour. It doesn't need to be an hour. Exercise to be in as little as ten minutes if it's the right type of exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, you could do small little habits at your desk, like getting up every little bit and doing like little movements and walking around and light stretches just to get your body moving and doing that periodically throughout the day. Um, in the morning time, you could do specific types of stretching that would just get you feeling better before you actually leave for work. And you can finish off the day doing the same kinds of stretches to make you feel better before you go to bed so that you downregulate your nervous system and have a great sleep. 
But those will be what I would consider as uh, little habits, micro habits that you can build on. Once you've started a little bit of a habit going, it's easier to build other habits to replace bad habits. Yeah, it is. It is a habit issue, I think, for for a lot of us. But so exercise. Now, what is, in your opinion, what do you think is is the the best way to exercise uh, as far as timing? Like if you exercise an hour a day and then you sit the rest of the day, are you compensating um, for all of that sitting time? If you exercise, what is it they say around 130 minutes is, is good for a week? Can you do that all in two days or is it best to spread it out throughout the week? Yeah, the, um, I think it is the... Um, the number is 150. It might be 130, but I'm pretty sure it's 150 minutes of exercise per week. Um, but I, and it doesn't have to be all in one day. It can be spread out through the week. Um, I think the problem is is that most people uh, think that exercise has to be done in huge chunks. And I think what I like to do with my clients when I'm first starting off with them, if they haven't had experience with exercise, is I like to give the information and the exercises in smaller chunks that are more digestible for them. Mm-hmm. And then they can start implementing them. Like I used to, do, a long time ago, I used to design programs for people for an hour-long program at the gym or wherever they were going to work out. And quite commonly, they'd come back and I would say, so did you do your program? And they'd say, no, I didn't do it. It was just too long. It was too much. So I'd be writing these programs that people wouldn't do. So then my next question would be, is how much time do you have per day or how much time do you have per week? And I would design miniature programs that they could do in 10, 15-minute blocks and if they wanted to do another block, they could add two of those blocks to create 30 minutes or three of those blocks to create 45 minutes. And that would be enough exercise for them. But giving them the smaller, more digestible chunks seemed to be more effective for most people because it wasn't so overwhelming. And time seems to be a huge issue for many people. They think that yeah. they don't have enough time. But in reality, people have more than enough time. Uh, they just have to make the time. So when someone comes, you know, I guess people have different reasons for wanting to to go to the gym, wanting to get into shape. And, and I guess you see a lot of influence of their period of life, their age, as, as the reasoning for why someone might want to get into the gym. Um, just, you know, as you, using the microcosm of our house, you, you know, we have my younger son who wants to get into the gym to bulk up. Um, you know, and then we on the other end of the spectrum want to exercise to stay healthy. Um, yeah. is that what you see in your industry? Has the health industry changed or is it, is it the same and you're just working with people in the different spectrums of their lives? Um, I think, I think it has changed considerably. I think there's a lot of influencers that have um, shaped the way the health industry is now on both aspects of not just the, the physical fitness side, but the nutrition side as well. And I think, um, you know, I remember being 15 years old and buying, you know, uh, Joe Weider magazines and thinking I want to look, look big like that guy in the cover. Mm-hmm. And, you know, bodybuilding was the influence back then when I, was, when I was working out. So it was basically, it was very unidimensional. And now you have other influencers like CrossFit's a big influencer or um, powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting are big influencers. Um, Instagram is a huge influencer on the fitness industry. Um, so you have a lot of people that are um, they're in the part playing their influence on the fitness and nutrition scene. Um, is it good for everybody? No. And I think you have to find out where you are and what your limitations are and where you want to go to and how you want to feel at the end of that journey. And that all changes uh, from a young age to, you know, to get into the, the older years. It, it's... Should, is there an underlying thing that you try and get to for everybody that you see? Um, is it right to come into the gym wanting to bulk up? Is that, is that the wrong way to approach it, or is it right for that, that age? I think it's age-specific for that. Um, I mean, I, I don't have a client in my roster that's interested in getting bigger biceps and six-pack abs because the majority of my clients are over 40. They're more interested in preserving themselves for the long haul or being active um, and enjoying the stuff that they like to do, like playing tennis, golfing, traveling, gardening, whatever it is they like to do. They want to be healthy at the activities of uh, daily living or recreational sports that they like to do. And, um, and you know, it's, it's ironic because m- many times people think that uh, a bigger muscle is better 
a better working system, but it's, it's not actually. It can actually uh, inhibit you if it's tight and restricted. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that makes a little bit of sense. I've, you know, I've been, um, I've exercised um, basically all my life. And my progression has really been from being a kid and on sports teams to doing sort of the exercise classes as I got married. That was the easy thing for me to do. And um, then I started lifting heavier weights and then I got hurt and had to back off. And then I, I got an illness and I had to change everything around then. But it's, it's, um, it's hard, I guess, for you to, to lay down one sort of exercise program for a person. Do you have to do a real good detailed intake, nutrition, everything like that before you can actually work with your clients individually? Yeah, I think the assessment and the history of the client is um, the most important thing. And then along with that, you, you start to dig into um, what their patterns have been, what their habits have been. And, and then you can kind of determine where they want to go ahead and what their chief complaint is and chief concern and, um, you know, pie in the sky, what their goal is out of that. Because, you know, I used to tell clients that they had, you know, uh, spinal fusion and neck issues and, you know, they would say they still want to golf. And I would say, look, I don't think golfing is the best thing for you on your spine. And they were just telling me, look, I'm not going to stop golfing. So I would have to find a way to get them to do what they like to do. And uh, we would navigate, we would create a strategy for that. But would I have recommended them doing that? No. But were they going to stop? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. So why have you focused on the over 40 crowd? I think for me, um, it was it was a bit of an education myself. I was always very active. I was healthy and strong. And then once I hit 40, things started to happen. Like, you know, you lift heavier weights and you get injured. And I thought, wow, why is this happening, right? And so I had to discover this with myself with my own little injuries. And then I just, I found that it was really, really, um, it was really kind of an interesting process, getting clients coming in and trying to figure out their problems. I found it um very fulfilling to help people out and give them strategies. And the feedback was great. People would start sending me their parents and other friends that were having issues. And I, it just kind of blossomed that way for me where I was, you know, helping people find strategies to exercise and keep themselves active. And uh, I just, I loved it. I loved working with that group. They were um, willing to do the work and committed to the process and they weren't there for the short term. They were there for the long haul. Like a lot of my clients have been with me now for over 15 years. Well, that's amazing. It's years. a real testament. And yeah. So when you talk to younger trainers in their twenties, they'll tell you that the revolving doors around six months to a year with clients. And that's because that's what they're attracting. They're trying to sell them the stuff that those clients don't need. And I'm selling, I'm selling the clients what they want to go for the long hauls, um, maintain good health and be active. And injury-free. Um, if you work with a young person, if you get people into the gym at the age of, I don't know, 25 might be the age, I'm just taking a stab at where they can afford to go into a program and work with a trainer. How would you advise someone at that age to be looking for the long haul? How would you advise them to start their exercise and training program? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I always think that it comes down to the fundamentals and principles of training. So one of the things I teach all of my young people and my older clients uh, is the ABCs. ABC stands for alignment, breathing, and control. And if you um, implement the principles of that, of always having good alignment when you do an exercise, always make, making sure that your breath is in the right spot so that your diaphragm is tracked, your ribcage are tracking properly and you're working your TPC, which is called your thoracopelvic canister, otherwise known as the core. And then the control of movements. There is very, very, very limited, limited um, ways where you're, you're, you're not going to get hurt at all. It's, it's very rare, extremely rare. Mm -hmm. So if you, so if what you're, you're, doing is you're, you're learning how to move your body and control it to a point where once you start learning that, you can implement that to every single exercise and every single movement pattern. And I'm just like trying to carry that forward. And I guess once you've got the ABCs down, 
if you are on the path and you want to lift heavier weights, that will naturally come as you are working with them. So the yeah. goal, the goal, I guess, that you would you would put into a younger person's head is, you know, try not to be lifting the heavy weights now. That will come. That will take time. Yes. Because it, it, yeah. it's it's hard with a, a younger person. You know, they do want to look big and buff and and in shape, and they want it now. And maybe that's the frustration and why they're they're always turning over um, and maybe getting injured. And well, then, I mean. Kath, you're, you're an experienced lifter yourself. You've been in gyms and you've seen the guys just cranking the weights out with speed, no form, jerking the weights, head comes off the bench, uh, their head pokes forward, they're doing curls, they squat with bad form, they deadlift with bad form. You're only asking for trouble. Yep, yep, you're right. And actually I got hurt and that's why I've stopped lifting the heavy weights. I was, I was actually, I had some injuries before I went into lifting the heavy weights and um, just made them worse. So I've had to change my whole pattern around. And when we get back from the break, I want to talk about things like um, uh, high-intensity interval training, what your thoughts are on that. And then maybe bring your whole package together on your website. I know you've got um, concepts that you work with, the breath, hydration, nutrition, movement and rest, and those are all components of of overall health for you. So when we get back after the break, we're going to talk about... um, if we should change during aging, and all the components that Michael feels go into being a, a whole healthy person. So we'll be back after the break.
You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with Michael Okumura. Is that right, Michael? Okumura. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Uh, From Fusion Health Studio in Toronto. We're talking about exercise and exercising as we age. So let's get into the main topic then. Uh, Michael, should we change our type of exercise as we age? And if so, why? I uh, absolutely think we should change the way we exercise, um, especially as we age. Um, The requirements will change from decade to decade. and this is kind of funny because I, I, I see younger trainers coming onto the scene and they're, you know, training clients to do box jumps and crazy stuff that, you know, 60-year-olds should probably not be doing. And I think, it, it, it you know, when you're a 20-something-year-old trainer, you don't really know what it feels like to be a 50 or 60-year-old or a 70-year-old and exercising. You don't know what your joints feel like at that, at that age. So um, I think as you age, you really have to have those kinds of considerations about joint health, um, all kinds of different things. And sometimes it could be even just like medications that clients are on that may be causing issues. Okay, fair enough. I didn't think about the medication aspect. Um, What about, I don't know if, if this is something in your wheelhouse, but what about exercise programs for people who are um, going through a disease or, you know, somebody like a type two diabetes or even someone who's going through, um, a, some, a more serious disease is exercise good throughout everything. And you just need to moderate. What are your thoughts on that? I think exercise is good for all of that. I think the, the key thing is to find the perfect amount of stress. Um, if you're giving someone too much stress, you're going to overload their physiological system and you're going to probably prevent them from healing their bodies the way that they need to if it's too much stress. But if you induce the right amount of stress, like a prescription, um, they can they can certainly get the benefits of it. And one of the key things would be um, is probably getting them to learn how to breathe properly so that they can downregulate their nervous system and put themselves from a sympathetic state to a parasympathetic state, which is called parasympath- parasympathetic paradise. And once they learn how to do that, they can really control the stress response going on at, uh, through the body at different times of the day, week, whatever. But learning how to do that would be probably the key thing in an exercise program, as opposed to like thinking that they need to be either on a bike or a treadmill or pumping hard or you know um, moving their bodies in a crazy way to get the exercise. There's different ways you can do it, but I think the, the amount of stress that you induce on that person is very important. So you need someone experienced to work with you when when you've got when you're compromised. Let's let's call it a compromised Absolutely. health position. Okay. Yes. Now the person who is forty years old and listening to the show and you know has been on the fence about getting into a health program, into an exercise program. What is your advice for them for starting a program? Um, well, I think they really have to look at what their, you know, their ultimate goal is. Like, what do they want to get out of it? What, it's like the question I ask when clients first come in. Why, why do they want to start exercising? What are their chief complaints and what are their goals? And then once they can determine that, they can kind of, you know, start to set out on a path of either looking for somebody or trying to explore stuff to figure out what might work for them. Like, maybe it could be just a yoga class or something once a week or maybe a Pilates class or maybe even like a nice form of group exercise if um, if it's in a safe environment might be enough or walking so you're are you're you yourself aren't fixed to a particular you must do this you must do that weights and running and that's it you you're open to variety in exercise uh, totally open to variety there was a an interesting uh, uh, episode of 60 minutes uh, last year or the year before I think it was a rerun this year but it was called the 90 plus study on 60 minutes. And if you want to look that up on 60 minutes.com, it was fascinating. 90 plus uh, this, study. Yeah. And this doctor had uh, come across uh, these files of 14,000 people that were living on this retirement community, uh, I think in the seventies, eighties called uh, leisure world. 
And she contacted as many people that were alive that got back to her, about a thousand people over 90 that were still alive. And then she sent out questionnaires to find out what these people were doing to live this long and to be around. And uh, quite interestingly enough, the, the number one thing was some form of exercise, whether it was formal or informal. Informal could have been like gardening and walking was an informal source of exercise. Um, and some people were more kind of regimented where they would lift weights and do stuff like that or take classes. But they did all, all of them had one thing in common. They all exercised. And interestingly enough, which I thought was interesting um, on the other end, was uh, they all had two drinks a day. I found that fascinating. Two alcoholic drinks? Yeah, two alcoholic drinks. I found that very fascinating, thinking, well, alcohol could not possibly do you any good. But I think one of the reasons why it did them good was that it was a social element. And yes. when they were doing it, they were talking with friends and hanging out and laughing. And they had, it created a social community. But um, the exercise was certainly a key part of it. And the lack of stress, maybe. You know, exercise helps with Absolutely. stress. I, I'm such yeah. a I'm such a proponent of minimizing stress in your life, and and uh, I, I find that exercise uh, sometimes not while I'm going through my exercise. I, I got to be truthful. There are sometimes when I'm doing my exercises, I can't wait for it to be over, so I'm not getting that that shot of of energy while I'm exercising. I feel great after, but there are yeah. times when I, I you know I just can't wait for this whole thing to be done. Um, yeah. and, and that's, that's sort of a, a head down and, and just get to it. But I've had, um, a disease, I've had cancer and exercise is critical for me for, for my overall health. And I, it's, it's whether or not I it's not, if I feel like doing it, I must do it. And, and I know that, um, so I, it, it's a part of my, my health protocol, but if someone is, Someone actually texted in here, and I'll get to the, the Actually, I'll get to it right now. Someone asked me uh, just now what you would consider the key exercises for someone to, to start off with. Okay, so I think it, it, it has to be a, kind of a, almost like a three-pronged uh, approach. You need to have uh, a certain amount of cardiovascular fitness, right? And that doesn't mean that you need to run a marathon because that's really not necessary. So maybe walking is, is a good form of exercise for that individual, um, interestingly enough, in the book Spark, um, the, he talks about, John G. Uh, Ratley talks about the magic um, intensity to get that dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the amount, of, like, the amount of stress on the heart is actually not as high as people think it would be. It's actually at about you know, 65% of your maximum heart rate. So it's really not that high. And you get, after 20 minutes, you get this dopamine hit. And I think that's the, probably the magic kind of potion mm-hmm. right there. Um, and if you stick with that, you'll be getting enough cardiovascular fitness for a healthy heart. Some people think that you need to like run marathons or be on a spin bike for two hours. I don't think that's such a good thing. I think you're overworking your heart. I think many times people are doing way too much. And it's no different for strength training. You've seen a lot of people that they think they need to bench press a Harley Davidson or squat mm-hmm. house. You don't need that kind of strength, especially as you go home. You just need enough to facilitate what your, um, you know, activities of daily living are. Uh, and if you like to do adventure stuff, then you, have, you need enough for that. Um, and it's no different for um, flexibility. You could always have enough more flexibility than you have. I, I always think that it's important to keep the, the muscles and the tendons and ligaments all as flexible as you can and the fascia, sorry. But um, having a good, you know, a good program that addresses all three of those is that three-pronged effect, which everything kind of pulls together and you feel healthy. And you don't have to overdo one. Many times, many of us will just do one type of, you know, exercise because we like it so much. But we really need the other side of things. Well, when you lift weights, do your muscles necessarily get tighter and you have to stretch more? Yeah, and it depends on how you're lifting weights, too. Uh, okay. If you're lifting in four inches of motion, people would say that you don't necessarily have to. If you're, if you're training opposition muscles of the muscle that was just worked at, and, um, um, you know, um, agonist, antagonist muscle groups, then you get good balance. But, um, you know, a lot of the stuff I've done with my clients as the older is I do a lot of myofascial stretching. Um, and a particular type of stretching I do is called Aldoa, which is decompression of the spine and myofascial web. And it was created by a guy named Dr. Guy Boyer from uh, Marseille, France. 
And I, I was first introduced to it back in 2002, 2003 in New York City. I took these courses for it. Um, it was a very, very useful tool for me. I had a lot of clients with lower back injuries, and I was using these specific stretches for them to get them out of pain. And I'm using it a lot more than I ever have now because I'm 50, and I want to keep my body in really supple shape. I want to get back to a nice springy feel. Like when I'm walking, I feel lighter mm-hmm. as opposed to heavier. Heavy, you know, like those clunk when you're feeling like you're all tight and restricted. Mm-hmm. I, well, I use a foam roller. <laughs> I don't know if that's... Yeah. A... <laughs> I've, I've used the foam roller for a lot of people. I find uh, it's a great little tool. I use it actually as a warm-up to my myofascial stretching now. But the key thing I'm doing now is I've done a lot more myofascial stretching um, to release the fascia in the body because it tends to get very tight and brittle. And that's the deeper tissue, correct? That's the deeper tissues, yeah. I, yeah. I've i had just a little antidote uh, on myself. When I was doing um, the heavier weights, I used to do yoga quite a bit, and then I sort of went into the gym a bit more and let my yoga practice slide a little bit. And one of the yoga classes that I, I used to love was uh, it, it's called a yin yoga so you do long yeah. stretches yeah. two minute stretches you've heard of it so when i first yeah. after you know I, I used to intersperse those classes throughout you know my yoga practice and then when i was stepped away from yoga for a while i went back and i thought i'm going to do a yin class to really stretch it was so painful for me i did not enjoy it was i, I couldn't get over how tight i was and it, it had been such a change being in the gym and not doing the proper stretching. And it was those, the quick stretches were fine. I didn't feel it, but it was those long stretches that I really felt that I was, uh, really had taken a step back. Mm-hmm. So the, the reason why is those long stretches, when you're holding it for a long time, like two minutes, you're stretching the fascia. And so most stretches aren't held for that long. Mm-hmm. And they're really not stretching the fascia, they're stretching maybe the muscle. Um, but if you really want to address the fascia and the myofascial web, they need to be held for a specific period of time. And there's also different areas of the body that you have to pin to pull away from the stretch to actually create more stretch. Um, so, I mean, the Aldella stuff is, is like a strength training class with mobility. It's, it's intense. And we, we do it on Saturdays here at 10 a.m. Um, we've had a tremendous response from people doing it for the past month. They love it. Do you need a partner for that? No, you're actually in a class with other people and you're just holding these specific poses um, for like up to two minutes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not, it's It's just like that yoga class you were talking about. Yeah. People might think it sounds easy to, you know, sit and bend over your legs. Holy smokes. It's really challenging. It is. It is. Now I wanted to get back to the weightlifting because I think it's important for people, especially over the age of 40, um, for bone health. Now, and this gets into a leads, it's sort of a two prong question. Your exercise programs for men and women, um, are they different because we're men and women. And um, if you could just explain how important weightlifting is to bone health. Um, yes, they are different. Um, the reason why is men have more testosterone, especially when they're younger, obviously, 10 times the amount of as a female. Um, the, the other part of your question is, um, uh, I can't remember what you just said. <laughs> no, the lifting weights for bone health. Oh, for bone health, yes. Yeah. For bone health, yes, it's extremely important to to load. Um, The interesting thing about that is you don't necessarily need a free weight or a free environment with weights. You could also use your own body weight as a stressor towards uh, creating better bone health. Um, And you're using the floor in some cases where you're just against the floor. Like a lunge is you're loading your bones, you know? And that's enough? That's enough. It's just your body weight. It might be enough for plenty of people. Oh, okay. Think about about how much you weigh, and then if you put more stress on one leg, more of your weight onto one leg. That's like adding weight. Mm -hmm. And it's especially important for women as we we get older. Our bones suffer a little bit more because of the estrogen that we're losing. Absolutely. And it doesn't necessarily need to be an external load. You can also do isometrics, too. I have a very... um, a colleague that has a place called Inspiration Six who does um, 
uh, isometric strength training on a machine, and basically that that's a hell of a workout. I've done it. It's mm-hmm. extremely intense, and there's no weights involved. It's just basically your body weight resisting against this machine. Okay, that's good to know. So people don't have to go to the gym necessarily. You can give no, them. No, no. There's a lot. There's a lot you could do at home. Like you could do isometrics at home, like planks, bridges, all that kind of stuff is beneficial. A stationary lunge, uh, a modified push-up. Any, there's any number of things you could do at home without gym equipment. I, I've done a lot of programs for people that don't have any equipment and don't want to go to the gym. Okay, fair enough. Now, um, I, two two questions. I know we're getting, Alex has given me the, the signal here. We have a few more minutes left. Um, a personal question I have. What is your What are your thoughts on um, high interval uh, intensity training, high intensity interval training, HIIT? Kids. Um, well, that's interesting. I think kids great. Um, it can be done in a controlled manner. And there's different ways to do it. Um, you know, like the CrossFit form is pretty extreme. It doesn't have to be like that. Um, it could be like I, I some clients have joint issues with their knees, um, and so they can't do any of that stuff. So I'll put them on a bike, and they can do intervals. Um, which I, we call it um, Iber interval build-up running, or I call it Ibub because we're on the bike build-up biking, where you would like to say pedal for a minute at a relatively moderate intensity, and then for 30 seconds you would pedal um, at a much harder intensity, and then you would come down and recover for a minute and repeat that cycle like maybe six, seven times, mm-hmm. and then you've done like a huge workout on a bike in like literally under 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. I've done that Very myself. Efficient. But why do you like this type of training? I like it because it gets the heart rate up, and then you get to recover. And um, the heart, it's like, you know, when you see hockey players go on the ice and they do like a shift in the playoffs and they're going all out and they come back to the bench and they're like exhausted and they get like a two minute recovery, two to three minute recovery before their shift comes up again. Mm -hmm. That's the way, that's a really good way to train for human beings because life is kind of like that. You get little, you know, bursts of intensity, you got to work harder and then you get to recover. So someone who's even starting in a walking program could do that, just walking faster, slow down? You could walk a little faster, yeah, absolutely. It's very safe, it's very effective, and has huge, huge bang for your buck. Okay. And the other thing I'd like you to address is the importance of rest. Some of us can get into the habit of going to the gym every day. Um, What are your thoughts? Is that a good thing? Does our body need rest? Absolutely, our bodies need rest. Um, so I always equate it to, I always get asked this question myself, you know, how much do you work out? Because I know I'm in the gym all day mm-hmm. training people. And I say I only total it to about four to five hours a week. I do take days off. Um, but my, my workout sessions are maximum one hour. And when I hear people saying they were in the gym for two hours, I go, wow, that's, that's a long time. And they probably were not efficient with their time. The other thing is a lot of people are sleep deprived. They don't sleep well. So if you haven't slept well and you're trying to exercise, it's not going to go over too well. You're going to deplete your system and ultimately your immune system is going to drop and you're probably going to get a cold or get sick. So you need good rest. And sleep is one of those things where people could always get better at, um, including myself. I could always get better at getting good sleep. Is it okay to go to the gym every day? Do you work out different parts of your body? Is that how you would do it? I think you should have days off. Um, it could be active recovery days where it would be like maybe you're just going to go for a walk or something. But you should have days off from the gym. Your body needs rest. Especially as you age, you need more rest. You need more recovery. A lot of my older guys in their 50s and 60s are still play hockey and sports. Um, I've designed their programs so that they get good rest days a day or two before they play their sport. And then, you know, they can recover before then. Mm-hmm. But um, typically what they were doing in the past is they were going all week and they'd get to the sport and they'd be flat. And I'd say, well, you need more recovery. And if you're going to play, you know, uh, two different sports, like say hockey or soccer, you're going to need much more recovery on the days before and after. So there's no steadfast rule. You you deal with everybody individually. Yeah, everybody okay. has to be dealt with individually because everyone's life is so different, right? And you don't know what stressors that they're, you know, mm-hmm. putting onto themselves. Fair enough. And we're going to um, hit uh, quickly the topic of nutrition because I know it's an important topic for you when you're trying. We've hit everything um, pretty much uh, in your equation of health except for hydration. So we'll, we'll lump hydration and nutrition and maybe you can quickly tell us why you feel that nutrition is such a component of overall health. Uh, it's a massive component. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times I'll get asked, um, what supplement should I take? 
And uh, I look at someone's nutrition, I'll say, well, um, you probably don't need to take any supplements until you get the food down. So they'll say, what do you mean until I get the food down? I say, well, you need to eat properly, and there's no point in taking any supplements until you eat properly, like mm -hmm. organics, um, you know, making sure that they're eating the right type of food for what their body needs. Um, so I, I give them this analogy. I think, think of your, your nutrition strategy as like you're building a boat. The, the food is the wood for the boat. And the supplements are the nails. Now, if you don't have good food, you don't need the nails because you don't have a, you know, a board or a piece of wood to actually make a boat. So there's no point in taking any supplements unless you have the food down pat. Okay, fair enough. Well, thank you so much, Michael. If you could quickly give us a, a tip, uh, something that we've talked about or something that, you know, you, you, you preach a lot to your people that would help our listeners on, on their journey with exercising, a little quick tip that would uh, end off the show for us. Yeah, uh, my quick tip would be um, start off with a small habit of saying you're going to get up in the morning and do something for your body, whether it's uh, moving it with a walk or something or doing some light stretching or some isometric activities. But start off with a light habit and say, I'm going to commit to, say, 10 minutes a day. And then if you can do that over the course of the long haul, then you can start to add, you know, add on more time or add in maybe a couple more days of exercise as opposed to, like, you know, just doing it occasionally. Awesome. That's great new, a great tip for us. Thank you very much, Michael, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Such a great topic. If you'd like to uh, get co in contact with Michael, his website is www.fusionhealthstudio.com, and he will be happy to answer any questions. If there's something that you need to follow up with us on the show, please feel free to email, uh, email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael, and we'll speak with everyone next week. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you very much. to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.